Welcome to the Greenbelt Project, where we bring the Iowa Greenbelt to life. The Greenbelt Project is brought to you by the Ellsworth College Foundation and Time Citizen Communications. This show is sponsored by Iowa Falls State Bank, member FDIC, and Hanson Family Hospital. Your host for today's show is Gwen Groen. Good morning, everyone. This is Gwen from the Ellsworth College Foundation. I am here again with our second session uh, with Darwin Meller. Uh, we left off our last conversation really about when he left Ellsworth, the impact that Ellsworth made on his life, and you know, kind of transitioning into when he transferred to Iowa State University. And um, so I'm just gonna let Darwin kind of start off. You know how that transition worked back in that time, you know, and if it's similar to how we transfer things out today. And we'll go through kind of his years of his higher education process. So Darwin, thank sure. you again for being here. And we really, really appreciated the last visit, uh, had lots of compliments on it. So many people love to hear you talk and get to know a little bit more about you and your passion for not only Ellsworth, but also, you know, for education and the success of our students that transfer from Ellsworth or go into the working world. So I'm just gonna let you kind of take off. I graduated from Ellsworth in the spring of 1970. And of course, this is before we had graduation in uh, the Martin Dittmer Gymnasium. We actually met in the foyer of Cruz, Maine, and we walked over to, to what is now Rockwood Elementary. And again, that was the Al Falls High School at that time. Okay. And so we had our, our graduation ceremony there. I worked that summer and then started classes at Iowa State in the fall of 1970. And I was really blessed because I've mentioned before the impact that Joe White had in my life. As a, he was my high school ag teacher and also my FFA advisor. And he had advised me all the way through being a district and state FFA officer and also was the one who really encouraged me to be a high school ag teacher. And so before, even before I started at Ellsworth, Joe took me down to Iowa State University one day and he had arranged an appointment with Clarence Bundy, who was the head of the ag ed department at that time. And there was a connection there because at one time early in his career, Clarence Bundy taught high school at Iowa Falls. Wow. And so he still had a, uh, a strong affection from, for, for Iowa Falls people. And the fact that I was a native of, of the Iowa Falls area, Clarence uh, really took a, a special interest. I'm sure he did in all of his kids, but maybe just a little bit more from people from Iowa Falls. Yeah. And of course, Joe had had several people like myself as students who had been state of Fay officers and had gone on to, to Iowa State and Ag Ed. In fact, um, Joe had received an award for the number of students that he had that graduated and went on to be egg teachers. Wow, that's cool. Recognized by the Iowa Boy Teachers Association for that. So anyway, we went down to see Clarence Bundy and we took along a catalog from Ellsworth. And then um, Clarence went through the courses in the catalog that, uh, they, that Ellsworth offered and he made a list of courses that I should take while, when I was at Ellsworth to prepare me for transferring to Iowa State University in ag education. 
And so the, that was kind of my roadmap of what I followed during my time at Ellsworth. And so it served me very well to have a smooth transition uh, coming to Iowa State University as a, a junior. And so I was able to able actually to graduate in two years. Wow. After two years at Iowa State University. And so obviously it was somewhat of a culture shock coming from a, a small junior college of a thousand students. And of course I was living at home when I was at Ellsworth and now I'm at, at Iowa State University on a campus of 25, 30,000 students living there. Sure. So that was the first time I was living away from home. I didn't stay in the dorms. In fact, I had one of my classmates from Ellsworth along with another student that was from Ackley. And we knew all knew each other because we'd gone to the same church. Oh, sure. And so the three of us rented an apartment off campus. And uh, we did that for during the time of my junior year. And so obviously living with two, even though you know them well, you really never know someone really well <laughs> until you live with them. That is a but true statement. But that went very well. They were they were great people and 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 were serious students. I, I was not interested in going down there and being a party boy. Yep. I mean, I was there for a purpose, and that is to get my degree. And so, and, and they were in that same mode, and so it really went well. And we did that our junior year. The. Uh, Roommate from Ackley was actually a year older than us, and so he was a senior when myself and, and Mike Klein was one from Iowa Falls. Okay. And we were both juniors. And so it was about a probably close to a half mile walk from the apartment to across campus because I had we were on the west side of campus and a lot of my classes were on the east yes, side of sure. campus. So yeah. and obviously in the winter it was sometimes a a cold, a very cold right. walk, but we, we made it work and, and uh, it was a good experience. Obviously part of the shock too was when you were used to being at Ellsworth, maybe your biology and zoology lab may have 40 or 50 kids in it. And I remember my organic chem class, we went into this auditorium and there had to be at least 300 students. Oh my goodness. In that organic chem lecture, so that was, and even my other classes, lectures, classes were probably at least a hundred students in an auditorium. So that obviously that can be a little intimidating, but right. I, I've always believed that if you do what you're supposed to be doing and do what you're told to do, you'll be okay. Sure. And obviously study. And I, mean, I thought I'd studied hard at Ellsworth, but it, the demands of a university like that are even greater. And so it's a challenge. I did well, but it, it was a challenge. Yeah. And you really have to be focused. You gotta be really focused and be willing to stay up late studying. And uh, especially coming up to finals, you didn't get a lot of sleep that week. Sure. Because, um, and that's just part of the educational system, then at least, was that it was really based on cramming a lot of information and a lot of knowledge. So, but the junior year, you know, went well. And then I was engaged at that time. Okay. And my wife was, she was two years behind me in school. So while I was a junior at Iowa State, she was a freshman at Ellsworth. And she was enrolled in the one year secretarial program uh, at Ellsworth. And so at the end of 
my junior year, I got married over that summer. In fact, Mike Klein, my classmate or my roommate locally, he also got married over that summer. Okay. And so then, of course, the fall of, I think we're up to the fall of 71 now, both of us were in different apartments with our spouses. But we maintained a relationship, and neither one of us had a lot of money. Right. Deb worked on campus at an office, and, uh, and Mike's wife did also. And so we would, because we couldn't afford to do anything else, we played a lot of cards as far as our social activities. We, at that time, you could buy season football and basketball tickets as a student. Very, very cheap. I think it was maybe $10 for a season pass at that time for a student for those activities. And so those were things that we could afford to right. do. Right, right. And so that's kind of how we spent our senior years was with them. And then also, uh, we also got to know some other married couples too on campus. And so they kind of had that similar bond. They're yeah. Maybe a little bit further along the maturity than what you might do, what you might be if you were single. Sure. And so I was married my senior year, and then I graduated in the spring of 72. Okay. And I guess the things that I remember when I was at Iowa State, one of the more funnier stories is the fact that I had to have some dental work done, and that dental work was going to was $50. <laughs> and, and back then, you know, trying to come up with an extra $50 was a real challenge. Well, I saw a flyer on a door in one of the classroom buildings that said, College of Agriculture Speech Contest. Winner will get $50. So I entered this College of Agriculture Speech Contest and was in that competition and won. So I had $50 to pay for my dentist bill. Wow. <laughs> so it's always something that, I, that I've always thought about and the fact that at that time, that $50 for dental work was somewhat of a financial crisis. Sure. But, uh, you know, we were obviously able to get through that. So then in the spring of 72, my very last quarter of classes was student teaching. And I student taught at Belle Plaine. Okay. And, um, and this was ag? This was a, a vocational <clears throat> agriculture okay. program there. And I, I chose Belt. We kind of had our choice. So they had a list of high schools that were student teaching centers. And so I chose Belt Plain because it was a different part of the state. Uh, I was very familiar, of course, with North Central Iowa, but Belt Plain was, was uh, a, a town a little bit northwest of Cedar Rapids. Yes. And so uh, it was a good experience. I had a good high school ag teacher. And in the meantime, I was starting to apply. When I was student teaching at Belle Plain, I was also applying for VOIG teacher positions. And uh, one of them I applied for was at Applington. And so ended up, I uh, got a call from the superintendent and said he was coming to campus and he was going to interview some candidates. And so I had my interview there and then I think what he was doing was he was interviewing several and trying to weed it down to two or three and invite them to come to Applington sure. for an on-site interview. And so I got a call again and said we'd like to interview you at Applington. And so an evening, and, I, and of course I said I can only do it in the evenings. And uh, he also said bring your wife along, which um, 
they were able to ask more questions <laughs> of interviewees at that time. Yeah, it's pretty what limited. allowed to today. Right. Of course, we're going back to 1972. And so Deb and I go up to, uh, to uh, Appleton for the interview. And I get there and walk into a room, and here's the school board. So there were several people in there along with the superintendent. And so I was being interviewed by the school board. Uh, apparently they'd had some issues in the egg program in the past and so uh, the school board wanted to be in on the selection process sure and so uh, and that was an interesting experience it starts out with small talk and then all of a sudden the room gets quiet <laughs> and so then I just started out telling them about my background and um, why I wanted to be a high school ag teacher and then how I had benefited from uh, vocational agriculture and FFA. And uh, they even asked my wife some questions. And they even asked me what church I went to. <laughs> Which really? obviously wouldn't fly today, but uh, I think back then they could ask about anything. So that, that was kind of interesting. Now, I think when they were trying to, they were hoping that obviously that I would live there. Right. Uh, even though Isle Falls is my hometown, about 25 miles away perhaps, but I think they wanted to make sure that I was going to live in the community, which we did. Yes. And so, uh, and I haven't talked a lot about my wife, but, but her maiden name was Stinson. Uh, some of our older listeners may remember Elise Stinson, who had a, a sand and gravel pit and an excavating company, and, and so that was her father. And uh, she grew up on an acreage southeast of Iowa Falls, and at that time they used route numbers. Right. And we both had Rural Route 2 addresses. And the interesting thing is we really didn't know each other very well in high school because she was two years behind me. We had large classes at that time. We probably knew who each other were, but really didn't know much about each other. And, and in fact, I think through high school, we both were dating other people. Sure. And so uh, and we kind of got, I guess, introduced during my sophomore year of college and her senior year in high school. That spring, we got introduced and started dating, and and then ended up getting married a year and a half later. Yeah. But um, she's always been my, uh, I, I guess, the wind beneath my wings. She's oh. always been very supportive of what of my work, and and uh, obviously in, in in my employment, there were times that I had to be gone, and so, uh, but but she understood that. Yeah and was able to hold down the fort while I was gone. So uh, any success I may have enjoyed, a lot of that credit goes to her. Yeah. Because I had a, I always had a cheerleader in my corner. Yeah. Oh, I love so, that. Anyway, I graduated then at Iowa State in spring of 72, and we moved to Appleton over that summer because the high school white teacher at that time had a 12-month contract and your contract ran from July 1st to June 30th. Okay. And so, then uh, obviously you were paid for that summer work uh, in addition to your standard nine month teaching contract. So we moved to Appleton. Uh, first year we rented an older house. There was not a lot available to rent at that time, but uh, at least we had uh, a roof over our heads and, and it was a way for us to get started. Yeah. And, we, as teachers at that school, got paid on the 20th of the month. And I can remember, of course, we moved there, started teaching there. 
I think we were down to our last five dollars when we <laughs> before I got my first paycheck. And so and my first contract, including the summer work, was for eight thousand nine hundred and twenty-five dollars. Oh my goodness. Uh, but you know what? When I I still remember going back to the, the interview with the school board, it was funny because they had interviewed a person before me. My, my interview wasn't until like 8 o'clock at night. Wow. And uh, they had interviewed someone before because I saw him come out of that room with his spouse. <laughs> and, and I thought, uh-oh. I knew him. He was pretty good. And so I knew it would be, be kind of tough competition. But anyway, it was funny because when I got done with the interview with the school board, the superintendent kind of wrapped things up and let us out of the room. And he said, what I want you to do is, I want you guys to go down to Martha's Cafe, have a cup of coffee, then why don't you come back in about a half an hour, and I can kind of tell you where you stand before you drive back to Ames. And so we were only there about 10 minutes, and we were sitting on a couple bar stools at the counter having a cup of coffee, and here walks in the school, the superintendent and the school board. And they go over to one part of the cafe, push a couple tables together, and they invite us to join them. And so we're, we're having a nice visit, and all of a sudden the, the superintendent said, well, I think the president of our school board should make an announcement. And then Sony said, we'd like you to come to Appleton. Wow. And that's how and we finished our coffee and rolls. And because they'd ordered all that you know, right. for us. And, and uh, so then afterwards, we went up to the to his office and I signed the contract. And I can remember he was an older gentleman, kind of in the last, perhaps last several years of his career. And I'm signing this contract for this $8,925 or whatever. And uh, I think you can kind of tell that I was pretty excited. Of course, before you're at that point, you were working for minimum wage. If right. You did, you did what was minimum job. wage? Do you remember? Minimum wage at that time was like $1.65 an hour. Okay. So, and I think you can tell because he looked at me and he said, young man, you'll need every bit of it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and of course he was right. By the time they take out your withholdings, your social security, your state and federal yep. tax, and of course, uh, IPERS was required. Right. And, and so you take that out. So obviously what, what you sign on and what you actually take home is, is a lot different. Yeah. But uh, that was kind of my, my first experience <laughs> with that. And so we started, like I said, we moved to Applington and um, my wife got a part-time job. We got married young, you know. I had started school when I was four, graduated when I was 17. So I graduated from Iowa State as a 21-year-old. And so, you know, I was 20 and Deb was 19 when we got married. But probably the best thing we did was we didn't, we didn't start a family till almost four years after we were married. So kind of gave both of us a chance to grow up a little bit more. And, and we've always said we kind of grew up together. Right. Uh, when, when you get married that young. But we've been married now 52 years, so it, it worked. Yeah. Deb got a part-time job actually at the University of Northern Iowa Library. Okay. And there was another lady from Applington that worked there and so they would trade off driving. And so she did that and then I of course started my new position. And so uh, there were 55 students in Voag. 
that were enrolled wow. for that fall. And so that summer then, uh, my first objective was to get around and visit all these students on their farm. 90% of our kids were from the farm yep. at that time. And they all had projects, primarily livestock. And so it gave me a chance to, to get out and, and, and meet those kids, meet their parents, see the project and, and establish some rapport. Uh, had them get an opportunity to, to know me and me to know them. And so by the time classes started, I think at that time their classes in, in Appenden started around the 20th of August. Yep. And so by that time uh, I had met all the kids prior to classes starting. So I was teaching four high school boy classes and then I also taught one section of seventh grade science, physical science. That was part of the job. And then we also had an adult farmer program that just ran in the winter. Oh. An educational program for, for the farmers in the area. And we got off to a good start really. They had, they had, we had a new principal the same year that I started along with a couple of their new teachers. And, and so I think that maybe helped with some of the problems and uh, we got off to a good start with the kids and, and I think the kids were ready to have a good program at that time. Right. And uh, then when we got into winter time with the adult farm program, I'd, I'd gone down to the barber shop and I'd asked the barber, who are the five most progressive farmers in, in the Appleton community? And he gave me some names and so I contacted those farmers and asked, invited them to come into my house one evening for coffee and cake. And so then I started asking them what programs would be good? What programs would fill a need that you, you guys have as far as looking at what your challenges are? What programs would, would help you? And so they gave me those ideas of topics. And then I also asked them if they knew any speakers, people that were experts in those areas. And then I also did some checking on my own, so we were able to have a slate of, of uh, adult farmer classes and bringing in, we were addressing issues that were relevant to them and also bringing in, we really brought in some, some pretty high-powered people, in some cases two-hour drive away. Wow. But we brought in those speakers and word got around quickly. We, we did a good job of marketing the program. And so during the six years I was there, we were having farmers from 15 different communities attend our adult farmer meetings. Wow, that's impressive. And so it, it was a great experience and, and I, I like to think it was a, a great benefit to the agriculture community right. and those farmers. Right. And that was, a, for me at least, was a fun part of the job too, sure. working with those adult farmers. And then with the high school students, they had never done a lot in FFA, and since most of them have livestock had livestock projects, uh, I got them involved in judging. And part of our teach that was part of our teaching, and so we started going to livestock contests. And it took a couple of years, but we started winning. Sure. And anytime kids win and have their picture in the paper with a trophy, that means a lot to those kids. Yep. And a lot of them were not were students that. They were not at they weren't necessarily athletes. Some of them were, but a lot of them were not, and really weren't involved in other school activities. Kind of like me, I guess, when right. I was in high sure. school. 
And so it gave them an opportunity to succeed. Yeah. And to be recognized for those efforts. And so we were very fortunate to um, have done well in those contests. And then um, we also, with our leadership contests, conduct of meetings, parliamentary procedure, public speaking, program of work, uh, we got quite active in that. And um, we became a, a strong club in going to contests. People recognized us yeah. and, and figured that you know, we would be in the hunt on winning some of those contests. And so that, that was exciting too for the kids to have people know who they were and to, to know that they would be, be strong competition. Sure. I think I remember you one time, and I'm not going to know the details, but you had said that prior to your going to Applington, there was like a ranking maybe of, I don't know if it was the FFA. It would have been FFA. And um, yeah, they were kind of, <laughs> sadly, they were kind of in the bottom 10% at that time. And I think when I left, we were in that top 10%. Yeah. There were like 260 okay. FFA chapters in the state. Okay. And they also had a contest where you had to um, complete everything that you did. And, and I think we were in that top 20 and so in the state. And so that was, a, well, I guess it was a feather in our cap, you know, for the program. And we even had two teams. I had several kids who came from dairy farms at that time in that area. And so over the summer, we, we trained, I trained them on judging and so forth. And they also had a, a dairy products contest. Along with the judging, was, it was a test. They had a completed test. And we were state champions in, in both of those tests. Wow. Uh, at Cattle Congress, which was a statewide contest. Yeah. And so when Cattle Congress was, that was the big, place. Big back then. Yes. Yeah, it was big back then. And that was just a wonderful thing for those kids uh, to have those two state championships, you know, that they'll always remember. Yeah. And so you know, six good years there. In, during that six years' time, we had bought a house and um, kind of thinking we were going to be there quite a while. The school board was pleased and would kind of relay through this the high school principal, you know, is there anything that Darwin would like for the Ag Department? Yeah. You know, as they were doing their budget. And uh, so they, they were very good to us. Yeah. Um, we'd gotten involved with the church there and, and a lot of other young couples. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was excellent. And I got involved with the local JC chapter and there were some young men and women there that were quite gunners on this and uh, in fact I believe in 75 uh, the Appen JC chapter won the Parade of Champions uh, which is the state championship of JC chapters sure <laughs> and so that was exciting and then um, we had there were some people there that and one of the greatest things I learned there was is that nothing's impossible and we had some guys that just fully believed that you know nothing's impossible and they had the, because at that time there wasn't a lot to do in Appleton. They didn't have a swimming pool, did not have a golf course, tennis courts, those types of things. Sure. And so we had some people that said, hey, we, we, need to, we need to have that. And so 10 of us that were JC members formed a nonprofit corporation called the Appleton Recreation Complex. 
And so we kind of developed our vision and our, our plans and and uh, so we started going around knocking on doors in the evening telling people about what we wanted to do with this to build a to buy land on the west side of Appleton, buy 80 acres of land, build a golf course, swimming pool, and tennis courts. And I, I guess, and a lot of people told us, it can't be done, you can't raise a half a million dollars in a town of 900 people. And I guess we were too dumb to realize that. And so we set out to do it. And um, in fact, all of us had committed, the 10 of us had committed that we were gonna spend a couple hours every evening knocking on doors. And the only time you were excused is if you had a family birthday. Wow, that's and commitment. That is commitment. And we did that for two years. And we really got lucky because we'd raised about 110,000. Now we're talking about 1975. Right. And so our goal was to do this and have it ready for the bicentennial the National Bicentennial. And so uh, we, we got to about 110,000 and then things really slowed down. We'd really had caught the low, I guess we'd picked the low hanging fruit, so to speak. And so then uh, a couple of our board members went and visited with Massel Ockeltree, who had Old Gold Seed Corn Company uh, between Appen and Parkersburg. Yeah. And Mansell had become quite successful. And so all of his employees came from Appenden or Parkersburg. And so he told us that he would match us dollar for dollar up to 250000 Which would get you to your half million. Which would get us to our half a million. And then uh, he wanted to also do something for Parkersburg, and, and Parkersburg wanted a, a medical clinic. Okay. And so he made the same offer to the Parkersburg group. So once we got that commitment and we could promote that, then other people started contributing. In fact, even some of those that had contributed the first time contributed uh, again. Yeah. And so we were able to get to that money. And if any of you are familiar with that area today, of course, we're now, what, 40 some years down the road. And so, in fact, I was in Appleton here a couple weeks ago, and all the trees now are mature and it's a beautiful golf it course. It is a beautiful golf course. And we had a swimming pool and also tennis courts. And so I learned from that whole experience with those folks there that you know, nothing's impossible. Yeah. yeah. And if you're willing to work hard at it, if you're committed, and if what you're doing is sound. Right. If it's needed and it's sound, then it's amazing what determined people can accomplish. Yes, yeah. Well, as you know, I live in Applington and just a quarter of a mile east of the of the golf course. And in my opinion, it is still one of the most beautiful and well-designed golf courses for a small-town nine-hole golf course. It's well-maintained, and I'm really glad that that has sustained it. Sure. Yeah, and we started out as a nonprofit corporation, and I think over the years it's now a municipal golf course mm -hmm. as I understand it which will help with sustainability yeah and uh, I was not a golfer at that time I had to learn to golf because uh, those of us who were on the board were the first ones to tee off when we had the ribbon cutting mm -hmm. and opening of the golf course and so friends have taken me over to Parkersburg so I could at least get the ball off the tee <laughs> 
So, but I actually got into it. We the last few years we were there. Deb and I both did some golfing. Sure. And it was a good social activity. So those were our six years at Applington, and and quite frankly, probably could have stayed there the rest of my career. And obviously, the, the success that we had with our VOAG and FFA program and adult farmer program did get the attention uh, of Hawkeye Tech, which is now Hawkeye Community College, right. back then it was Hawkeye Tech. And they approached me about a position they had on their staff in agriculture, uh, teaching animal science. And then, uh, and I, I considered that because it was obviously be a step up. But then at the same time, Ellsworth was looking at starting a, a new program called Swine Confinement Management. And the year that I started at Applington, was also the same year that Joe White left teaching at the Owl Falls High School and went to Ellsworth okay. to teach farm management. Okay. And he was also chair of the agriculture department. And so when they just decided to start this new swine refinement management program, they were really looking for someone who had experience in building programs and so forth and, and establishing relationships, building partnerships, yep. that type of thing. And so Joe called me one night and he says, hey, I want you to apply for this position. And so I did. And uh, it was kind of funny because both Hawkeye and Ellsworth offered me contracts on about the same day. And um, fortunately, I hadn't signed one with Hawkeye. <laughs> and so, and obviously, coming to Ellsworth was our, our first choice. Sure. Deb and I both were alumni. Our families were here. Yep. And so... Uh, it was attractive moving back home. And the other thing was, uh, by my sixth year at Applington, our son, our firstborn, was three and a half. And so he was going to be starting kindergarten in a couple of years. Yeah. And so it made sense that if we were going to make a move, it was a good time. Yeah. And of course, the opportunity was there. Right. And so ended up going through the interview process at Ellsworth. Dwayne Lloyd was interim dean at that time. Glenn Warford had just retired okay. in January. And so then Dwayne Lloyd was interim dean and was not named full dean till I think that following summer. And he interviewed me in April. So I may have been one of his first hires. So, sure. um, but it was fun to come back and, and teach with Joe, my, who was my high school ag teacher yeah. and mentor. And uh, of course, we also had Dan Brown, yep. who was on staff, was a, an excellent teacher. Dwayne Brewer also, he'd been high school ag teacher at Alden for many years, and he had come to Ellsworth. And so there was the four of us, and, right. and it was a great staff. Right. And, uh, yeah, because I'm hoping that'll be our next segment, is to talk about your time at Ellsworth and you know the things that you brought to Ellsworth as well. But um, before we wrap up, do you remember any of the kids from Applington that you taught? And you and I visited the other day and sure. you were at Peppercorn and a few people came in and remembered yeah. you. It was fun when we'd gone to Applington to the Peppercorn Pantry. Uh, we, we met my wife's aunt and cousin there for kind of a Christmas lunch. And uh, of course, Peppercorn Pantry is, is owned by Mary Meyer. Yep. When I was taught there, her maiden name was Green. She was Mary That's Green. Right. And I had Mary in seventh grade science class. So that was kind of fun uh, to catch up with her again. And then she married Russ Meyer, 
who was one of my ag students. And in fact, I think during the course of our lunch, she'd called Russ and told Russ that I was there. And so Russ came in and we had a nice talk. Yeah. And uh, he was a good kid. And of course, now he's a successful farmer. Yeah. And his son is farming with him now. Yep. <laughs> so yep. that was a good experience. Then another former student by the name of Verlin Shipper came in and he, he walked up to me and he says, you're Darwin Miller, aren't you? And he says, I'm Verlin Shipper. And I'm sure. You know, now Verlin was a junior. Okay. When, when I started teaching there. So I had Berlin the last two years of high school. Russ was a, Russ must have been about a freshman about the time that I started. So uh, it was fun to see those students. And being as I live on MM Avenue, which to the people that live in Ackley and Appleton and Hampton, they refer to that route as the Walmart shortcut. <laughs> um, yes. But every once in a while, so I'll have a former student that'll stop by, see my name in the mailbox. Yeah. Well, if they see me out in the yard, they'll, they'll pull up and, and we'll have a nice a nice talk. And so it's always fun to, I mean, you're going, we're going back here uh, 45 years. Yes, yeah. So it's fun to see those people now become successful adults. Yeah. Kids that you had in high school. And my philosophy on teaching was always this. You, you don't measure your success by what the best students accomplish. You measure your success by those students that would not have been successful without you. Yeah. Because the good kids are going to succeed regardless. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can survive some bad teachers and still go on and be successful. Sure. But it's those, if you want to call them marginal ability students. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's always very rewarding to see that those kids that you had and ones that you felt that you had an impact yeah. on their life and, and on their education and have gone on to be successful citizens, good parents, good good husbands and wives. Yeah. They had not had not allowed girls in Boag when I got there. Okay. And so after we got going, it was too late for that first year, but then I went and talked to the principal and superintendent because I knew we had some young ladies that wanted to be part of agriculture. Sure. And uh, so I think the next year we had six or seven young ladies in the yeah. program yeah. and it were excellent students. Uh, a lot of them were, were already had been showing at the fair and 4-H and were very active in 4-H mm -hmm. and so FFA was a natural for them. Sure. And I had some of those young ladies go on to the collegiate level and got active in, in judging livestock at the collegiate level and became very successful sure. so and they deserved that opportunity but it wasn't till i'm thinking around 1970 that the national ffa organization finally allowed girls to be to be eligible to be a member of ffa wow it happened during the time i was a state officer sure and there were some that really it was a traditional thing. It uh, obviously was a, a big change, and but basically at that time the courts, the federal courts, said they were discriminating. You can't do that, right. and that was a good point. That's legitimate. Right. That's, that was a valid point. Right. I believe in equal opportunity. <laughs> right. Right. And so that's why I really pushed the administration. We should be inviting young ladies to participate yeah. in the FFA if they if they so desire. Yeah. And like I said, uh, we need to be accessible to everyone. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, I, you know, I guess I, I love your 
theory on instructing and and I just think that what was offered to you from Joe White and I'm sorry I forgot the gentleman's name from Iowa State Clarence Bundy Clarence Bundy you know because they saw something in you and the impact they made on you and I would be willing to bet that if I talked to Verlin Sunday in church and if I talked to Russ Meyer they would be saying the impact that you made on their careers yeah. so you know I think that's a great place to end today again thank you so much Darwin I know I said this the last time but I absolutely enjoy listening to you and your story, your life, and how humble you are that you could play a role in people's lives. So um, when we come back to our next session, we'll kind of get back to you taking your step back onto the ECC campus and the things that you did here and you know, where that kind of led you into your next chapter for your career. So thank you so much. Thank you, Gwen. I enjoyed it. You have been listening to The Greenville Project. The show is sponsored by Iowa Falls State Bank, member FDIC, and Hanson Family Hospital. The Greenville Project is produced by the Ellsworth College Foundation and Time Citizen Communications. The Greenville Project podcast is available on all streaming services and on timecitizen.com.